This microphone's kind of like some of you threatened to be. Not on during this uh, hour. I don't know when I've been treated more at home than I have at Midway. From the standpoint of you treated me like family, your elder started out by just saying, I'm not going to introduce him. You know, <laughs> he knows who he is. Uh, why do we need to introduce him? Uh, then I was in line with one of your elders for lunch, and um, I got a little more on my plate than I should have, and I said, boy, if I eat all that, um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to preach. And he said, that's okay. We're not going to be listening anyway. So, uh, so it is like my family reunion. That's why we treat each other, brothers and sisters. And, and to be honest with you, I, I wouldn't let one of my brothers introduce me. And so I wasn't going to let any of the elders introduce me after lunch. <laughs> um, it has truly been a delight, all joking aside. It's, it's a truly delight to be invited to uh, address you today for, from the standpoint of caregivers. And look at some real life circumstances. You know, we're, we're on this planet and we're separated from the tree of life and so we're on that march to the grave. And so we can use our life here wisely and, and use it to the fullest as a living sacrifice to God and we can plan properly. Um, what's going to happen when we die? Obviously, from a spiritual standpoint, we want to be living according to God's will. And when we stand before him, he'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But we also want to make real life decisions and make sure our will is in order, that our wishes are known to our family. And those aren't just vague things, that we put some effort into it, that we draw it up officially and legally. And... Um, they know what to do when we get where we can't do those things for ourselves. In our worship hour, we spent some time talking about and, and thinking about caring for the caregiver. You know, we all have to deal with circumstances in life, and we love our families, and we're going to do what needs to be done. But sometimes that, that road gets long and difficult and hard and tiresome. Not because our love grows weak, but because we just physically and emotionally are fatigued. But God designed us as a spiritual family to be here for each other. He really did. He intended for us to be fitly joined together by that which every joint supplies, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16. That means we're completely, constantly connected to each other. And there are times when we just cannot bear the burden by ourselves. That's part of the law of God. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2 says we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So you see, by allowing each other to help each other, we allow each other to be obedient to Christ. For us to refuse to let each other be involved in our lives and help is keeping us from doing what Christ wants us to do. So from the standpoint of, of us caring for our families and allowing people to care for us, it's to be Christ-like. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so Christ exemplified to us that he came to this earth and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He provided redemption for us. But he ever thought about the standpoint that he trusted us enough to go back to heaven and leave things for us to do for him? That every compassionate deed that we participate in, every act of kindness we show toward each other, we're doing it for him in his stead. I just think that's a fascinating, beautiful thought. That he not only expects us to trust him, that he's preparing a place for us there, but for us to recognize that he trusts us to do the greatest work that can be done. Exemplify those Christ-like actions. This afternoon, we want to spend a little time talking about being first responders. We depend on such folks in our, our society. Those EMTs that are trained to be the first ones on the scene when traffic accidents happen or uh, something happens to us and our heart stops beating or there's been some accident and they're trained in CPR. 
what they do when they revive us is to make sure that we can breathe, that all the airwaves are cleared and that oxygen is restored to our lungs and that our hearts are beating again. That coronary part that, and that uh, restoring the air to the lung part is absolutely essential. They're trying to do that. They respond that way to revive us back to life. In a spiritual context, the CPR ought to stand for caring personal response. That you and I realize there are certain circumstances and certain occasions in our existence on this earth where tragic things happen. And we kind of, in essence, have the breath knocked out of us in life. It's just more than we can bear. And people respond. Some years ago, hard to believe how many years ago now, but my wife and I received a phone call that our daughter-in-law and, and two of our grandchildren were in an automobile accident. You know, not a call you want to get. They live in Colorado. We had to make arrangements to fly them out there. And we witnessed the things that we're going to talk about this afternoon with the people of God responding in ways that we just couldn't respond. We couldn't emotionally respond the way we needed to. We couldn't be everywhere. One grandchild was on one side of the Rocky Mountains. The other one's flown to the other side of the Rocky Mountains. We couldn't be in both places. One of us went to one place. One went to the other. But you know who was there? In both places. Brothers and sisters in Christ. They made phone calls for us at we just couldn't make ourselves. They answered phone calls that you just didn't want to answer another phone call. You didn't want to tell the story one more time. Our grandson didn't survive, even though the people who were first responders did everything they could possibly do to revive him. Got him to the hospital and put him on life support and did everything they could possibly do. And he was just too broken too injured, too severely, to survive. Never schedule that. There's no way to prepare for that. There's, there's nothing that you could imagine that you prepare you for that. Things that we knew on paper and things that I had preached from the pulpit, she and I experienced during that time. Just looking around in those waiting rooms, just getting places when we were too numb to even feel and seeing things done that we had forgotten that needed to be done. Who did it and why? God's people did it because it needed to be done. So what I'm sharing with you is not just something I've learned in seeking a doctorate degree. Not something I found in a textbook somewhere, but something that's embodied in every line of every page in God's Word. We're inseparably connected. We are the first responders for each other. And it's a very caring, personal response. We put ourselves in each other's shoes, and there's not a better example of that than what we often refer to as the parable of the Good Samaritan. Oh, I know in that context, we rightfully so point out that there is religious hypocrisy because here's someone trying to trap the Lord and what's the first and great commandment and when he says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And the second is likened unto it, even though he didn't ask for the second commandment, he said, The second is likened unto this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And the lawyer didn't want to have to do anything. He was just trying to trap the Lord. And so when he said, who is my neighbor? He wasn't ready for the Lord's answer. Because the Lord put him in a real life circumstance. Described to him. Two religious people, a priest and a Levite, going to do what priestly people do in the priestly city. But on their way, they passed someone who was on that same road earlier who had 
been attacked by robbers and beaten and stripped of his clothing and his livelihood and left half dead. One of them didn't so much as get close enough to even see the circumstances. He passed by on the other side because of his religious duties. The other came along, was curious enough that went and looked on the man, but did nothing to help. But then you have that example of a first responder. We even have in our nation, a nation that oftentimes has forgotten all about God and about His Word, but we even have in our nation good Samaritan laws that's based on what we read in Luke chapter 10. And that is, if you're doing a good thing for a good reason, an accident happens, you stop and you try to help that person in that accident, you're not are going to be sued because you went to effort if that person happens to not be revived because of your efforts. Or what you do might cause injury. But you were a good Samaritan, a first responder. You see, what a first responder does, first of all, is just do no harm. If you're in a medical profession, the first thing you learn is do no harm. If, if you're studying and seeking a counseling degree, the first thing you're told is, first thing, be aware, don't do any harm. Well, how do you know whether you're doing harm or not? Well, we began to look at Luke chapter 10, and with the Lord describing those things, He gets to that first responder, a Samaritan, someone that all the religious people look down on with disdain, and yet this man had a compassionate heart like God's heart. And when he describes that Samaritan beginning in, in verse 33, it's about a certain Samaritan as he journeyed, came where he was, where the injured man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. He saw him. His immediate response was, had I been earlier on that road, that could have been me. This person was ahead of me on this journey, and there he is, and he had compassion. He placed himself there and said, what would I want someone to do? That's where we are as brothers and sisters in Christ, as caring personal responders. We want to look upon each other's needs and say, what is it that we need to do? We, we want to bear each other's burdens in those circumstances, but notice what else he did. He went to him. You see, you can't make a decision on doing no harm until you get close enough to know condition of the person. I recognize that it's difficult for us sometimes emotionally to see circumstances in each other's life and we just want to protect ourselves from people who are crying. We cry with them and we think, I don't want to make it worse because if I start crying, they need you to cry with them. Some of those folks who visit the waiting room where we were sitting, that's all they did. Some of them didn't say a word. They just cried with us. What is there to say? They were just there. They placed themselves there and obviously when you feel that emotion coming and you see that person's heart broken, we have built into us a self-protective mode to say, uh, let somebody else do that. I appreciate the prayer was prayed a moment ago that I might live a long life to help counsel with folks and to preach God's Word. Sometimes people say, because I have been preaching and counseling for so many years, they'll say, you're good at it. You don't get good at it. It's not something that you perfect and say, hey, I can respond and it doesn't affect me. It affects you the same way every time. If you're a caring person, compassionate person, you feel the pain every time. It's not a matter of perfecting and getting good at it. It's just a matter of doing it, being there. When you recognize that you have to be those people who make sure that you restore the breath to them, not just do no harm. You've got to make sure they're breathing. And there was an accident in front of our house when we lived in Tennessee. And we were awoken by lights flashing and sirens going off. And we went out there. A man had flipped his truck across the road from our house and was, was trapped in the truck. 
And they had to get the jaws of life to come cut him out. And our neighbor to our left was uh, was a paramedic. And so he grabbed his things and across the road he went. And they were working on him through the window. Making sure all the airwaves were cleared out and he was breathing again and compressing and making sure that his heart was beating. So you've got to restore the, the breathing and then you have to revive the heart. You see, that same is true with us in our spiritual conditions and our life conditions, isn't it? When tragic things happen, it just knocks the breath out of us. All the way on the flight to Colorado, you're thinking, hope everyone's okay. Didn't know what you're going to find when you land, and as soon as the news comes, it's not good news, and what do you do about that? And you, you catch yourself trying to get air. Feeling like you might just hyperventilate. No matter how hard you try, you just couldn't get the oxygen in your lungs. You see, emotionally sometimes we find ourselves in those conditions. And someone has to restore that breathing. Our brothers and sisters did that for us. With their embraces and their tears. Slowed our heart rate down so that it could beat properly. And our airways were clear so that we could breathe. This man does that. He goes to him, and when he recognizes the man is alive, there is still air in his lungs, and his heart still is beating, but he is left half dead. That means if he's not cared for, he's going to die. He's halfway there already. And he responds. Because you see, then you have to make sure you stop the bleeding. When they were working on this person across from our house in Tennessee, they're trying to stop the bleeding. Couldn't get him out just yet. They couldn't remove him from danger just yet, but they had to do everything they could to, to stop the bleeding. Now he's breathing. They're making sure his heart's beating, but now they've got to stop the bleeding. And notice what the Good Samaritan does. He binds up his wound. He stops the bleeding. You see, if there is a loss of blood, there's a loss of life. In a spiritual context, if there is a loss of connection to the blood of Christ, there's a loss of spiritual life. And it's described that way in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all our sins. What if we're not connected to the blood of Christ? We lose spiritual life. And that's what Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 is about. Brethren, if any of you are overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. This good Samaritan saw this man half dead. If the bleeding's not stopped, he's going to die. So he binds up his wounds. When we see each other spiritually being separated from the blood of Christ, we have to restore that one to have connection to the blood of Christ so their sins can be removed. If they're overtaken in a fall, we want to restore them to that place where they need to be so the blood of Christ can cleanse it. We place ourselves there. We consider ourselves with meekness. What if that were me? You see, I've had a good pleasure of of knowing God's Word all my life. And I mentioned to you this morning, I'd fall asleep every evening with my mother reading from the Scriptures. So I'm just kind of without excuse. I can't get there on Judgment Day and say, I've never heard it. I've heard it all my life. And I've seen it and witnessed it in other people's life all of my life. But the application of that in difficult times. You see, since we are a body of Christ and there's so many of us, just never stops. Oh, I might be healed. I might be healthy again. How many names were on the screen a moment ago? How many names were mentioned verbally of people who had needs? 
taken to the hospital. See, it just never ends. As long as we're here on this earth, we're going to have those kind of circumstances. So we need to be those caring personal responders and we're ready all the time. And spiritually, we're trained to do that. If we're paying attention to the Scriptures and we're listening to what the Lord said and He's telling this man when He asks, Who is my neighbor? Whoever has a need. That's your neighbor. Whoever it is at the time, you need to respond to that. You think about tragic things that can happen and cause us to be kind of disoriented. Once that bleeding was stopped, we not told a whole lot about the man who was injured. More focus is on the one who providing the care. But think about the man who was injured and, and now the, the breathing is, is settled and the heart is beating and the wound is bound up. What CPR trained emergency responders in our society are trained to do, then, then you remove them from the danger, the harm. The man that had a wreck across the street, they cut him out of that truck. They removed him from that danger. This man did that with this injured person on the road to Jericho. Once his wounds were bound up, he removed him from that circumstance and he put him on his own beast, removed him from the danger. When we see each other in certain circumstances of life, we have to respond that way, in that order, to do no harm, to make sure they're breathing again, spiritually speaking, and, and make sure that, that their, their heart is renewed, like David said in Psalm 51, renew in me a clean heart, O God, so that it's spiritually where it needs to be again, and make sure that we're reconnected to the blood of Christ and remove ourselves from the place of harm. It's important. For us to be willing to do that for each other and, and not lose heart in doing those things. This man who asked Jesus a question about who is my neighbor had no intentions of doing anything about it. He never asked a question for that purpose. He never asked for the second commandment. Just says, what's the first and great one? You ever find it curious that Jesus never stopped with just the first one? Every time he was asked, what's the first and great commandment? He'd tell him what it was and he said, the second is likened unto it. What do you mean likened unto it? If you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you're going to behave like God. You're going to have the heart of God. You're going to have the compassion of God. You're going to have the response of God. And the way you'll see that and demonstrate that is how you treat your neighbor. You treat him the way you would treat yourself. This good Samaritan did that. He was a first responder. He was the first one on the scene. And he had the right attitude and disposition. He knew that according to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, in reference to the heart, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. This man's heart need to be beating. He need to have life restored to him. But more than that, he need to be removed from that place of danger. We're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Come ye out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. See, in our spiritual family, when we're talking about being caregivers and caring for caregivers and, and this being an emphasis this Sunday on the caregiving spirit, disposition, way of life, then you go back and read this story and think, what a reaction. Wasn't asking for anything in response. Didn't know if the man could ever provide a response. Just knew what the needs were. And was truly a neighbor. Was the kind of person that he needed to be. Responded in a way that the man needed him to respond. And he removed him from that dangerous place so that he could survive. In Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 17 and following. It tells us how we help each other be removed from a dangerous place. And he tells us if we warn the wicked from his wicked way. Then if he hears us. Then his soul has been saved. And we're free from his blood. 
If we warn the wicked from his wicked way and he doesn't leave that way, this man on the road to Jericho could have gone back, been beaten again, not been appreciative of anything. Don't know what his response to us. That wasn't the point. The Lord was pointing out the heart of the Samaritan and the kind of attitude and disposition that a, a true neighbor would have. You see, in the body of Christ, we ought to always be the example of that. I recognize, as good as anybody, that we have personalities, don't we? <laughs> I mean, we really have personalities. And sometimes our personalities keep us from being for each other what we need to be. What was the man who was injured on the road to Jericho? What was his personality? Don't know. Weren't told. Was it the point? He was injured. He needed something. And a compassionate person responded. You see, all we can control and all we need to focus on and what this is all about today is who we are as individuals. And that we make up our minds that we're going to provide a caring, personal response. He did that. He put him on his own beast and removed him from that circumstance. Now, this man was on the way somewhere. And evidently, because not only did he remove him from danger, but then he reconnected him to resources. I mentioned to you this morning that there are some times when we want to provide for our loved ones. But we're not equipped. We're not trained. We don't have the skills to provide certain things at certain times. And that frustrates us. But we have to recognize that and say... We need to get them to who it is that can provide those things that I cannot provide. And this parable of the Good Samaritan and this caring personal response took him to someone else who could care for him. Did all he could under the circumstance. He is that first responder. But then he connects him to resources. That man who had a wreck across the street from our house in Tennessee, when he got him cut out, got him stable... A helicopter landed in the pasture next to the house. And they airlifted him and connected him to more serious resources. Those first responders did all they could possibly do. They weren't equipped to go beyond that, but they got him to someone who could. We don't all have the same skill level. We don't have the same knowledge. We don't have the same personalities. But if all of us do what we can, when we can, as much as we can, until we can get that person to someone who can do more, then we've learned what the story is all about. What being a first responder is all about. He's not asking us to carry everybody's load for them. He's just asking us to care about them. Respond to them. You see, that's important. As he connected him to those resources, he told the innkeeper, you take care of him. You see, he had to go back to his life. If he's going to keep helping people, then he's going to have to have the resources to help them. So he had a responsibility. The Good Samaritan went on with whatever that responsibility was after he first had responded to this man's need. After he had connected him to someone who could continue his care. And he didn't disconnect from him. He said, you care for him. Here's funds to care for him. If you spend more than that when I come back, I'll reimburse you for it. He doesn't disconnect from him. We can't disconnect from each other, brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to keep providing for each other what we can, as long as we can, while we're here. You got represented here today, all age groups. What too often we do in the body of Christ is we kind of disconnect the age groups. And there's certainly nothing wrong with us saying, look, we've got seniors who like doing things together and they've got special interests they need to do things together. We've got young people that enjoy doing certain things. You know, they need to do young people things. Nothing at all wrong with that. Unless, unless that disconnects us from each other. Because there are certain things that young people can't learn anywhere else other than being connected to those who are older. 
who have experienced things in life. Older people have been young. Young people, if they live long enough, will be old. Ah, but you could learn from older people. And what a joy it is, and I told you this morning, my wife and I directed a camp at, uh, a week at Indian Creek for 31 years. Part of that was because we gained so much from young people. Turn on the news and you think there wasn't any young person anywhere that's worth hearing about. They don't come to Indian Creek Youth Camp. There are a lot of great young people who are wonderful to be around. But what happens if you're not connected to them? You might believe the lies. There's not any good young people. And so we can't disconnect. We're fitly joined together by that which ever joint supplies. And sometime when older people can't do things the way they used to do, and young people recognize that, maybe they kept their yard up and now they're kind of confined to home, what would happen if Connor and the young people said, you know, he always kept his yard immaculate. What if we asked them? As a project for us to do, because we love you and care about you, and we're just always fascinated by your yard skills, we want to learn how to do that to our yards. What if we come over and help you with your yard, you teach us how to do it, and we do your yard for you? You see, that lets that person look at their yard, it looks like it always looked because someone doing it the way they wanted it done. Now, that's just a real simple illustration, but that's our lives, isn't it? But too often... The person who needs the help pushes people away and won't let them help. So they never learn those things because they're not given the opportunity to learn those things. And sometimes those who could provide those services would rather be doing other things and they never respond, so we're disconnected. Sometimes it's because we just want to be protected from the pain, and I know how it is. Even though I can't speak the language... If you drop me in some of these cultures that you see on TV, I'd be lost. I couldn't speak their language. I can't read their language. I can't function in their society. But if there's an earthquake and there's a broken-hearted mother holding the lifeless body of a child, I know her language. When tears are running down her cheek, I feel her pain. Nobody has to translate that for me. Nobody has to say, this is why she's crying. I'm witnessing it. I'm seeing it. I'm there with her. You see, that's how we have to make sure we function as first responders in Christ. As being caregivers, we've got to realize that that makes us Christ-like. He didn't come to be ministered unto, but to minister. And even though it makes us uncomfortable, and even though we think, you know, if I cry, it's going to make them cry, I can tell you from personal experience, in those cases you need to cry. Cry with them. Be present. When there's things that you could do physically and emotionally, Ask permission to do those things physically and emotionally. Be the first responder to say, look, I don't want to mind your business. You tell me what I can do and what I can't do, but please let me do something. There's nothing more frustrating to a Christian than the desire to help and not be allowed to. So in the body of Christ, because we do care, we need to allow people to practice caring. And the story of the Good Samaritan has all those ingredients. We like the ending of that because it's so punctuated. The Lord said, which of these was a neighbor unto him? Even the man trying to trick the Lord with the question, it's obvious, isn't it? Inescapably obvious. The one who showed compassion. The one who cared. The one who was merciful. The one who responded. That's a neighbor. Obvious. The Lord answered much like 
my parents answered me oftentimes. Go and do likewise. If you've got a question, who's the neighbor? How can I be neighborly? You just acknowledge that's what a neighbor looks like, that's what a neighbor does. You do likewise. In the body of Christ, we have to do likewise. As caregivers, as those who care for caregivers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, the most evangelistic thing that you and I can do is to care for each other. Because those who are brutalized in Satan's world, look at us, want that kind of family, want that kind of relationship. If we ever get to the point where we don't look about, we don't watch each other, and I'm not talking about policing each other. I'm talking about loving each other, caring about each other, being here for each other. When we do that correctly, that's the most contagious thing. People desire that so much. And we can evangelize the world with that kind of spirit. Jesus' life was summed up in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. He went about doing good. Because He was good. He is good. And when people see our goodness and our good deeds, guess who gets glorified? He does. As you sit here this afternoon and you think about your family, your Midway family, did anybody come to mind as we were discussing these things today? Do you think about any particular circumstance, maybe your own, where maybe you've tried to do it all on your own and you don't want to be a burden to anybody else and you've always felt like that that would distract them from their responsibilities and their families? Ever had people offer and you just felt awkward receiving that? I hope that after today you'll say, I'm robbing people of blessings if they reach out to me as a brother or sister in Christ and ask to help. Because you see, sometimes when we shut our loved ones away from other members of the church, they're longing for news. Sometimes it's not a matter of doing something physical, it's just being present. Saying we're still here and we miss you. And guess what? Did you know so-and-so just had a new baby? You know what they named it? Sometimes it's just those connections to what normally goes on that they are robbed from. So if you are one who is caring, let others help you care. That'll rejuvenate you and that'll let you do your job even better. Those who need to provide care. Do it lovingly and kindly, consistently. Do no harm along the way and make sure that you do everything you can to revive that person that you're caring for. If you're the person being cared for, let me say this to you. If you can't do it for yourself, appreciate, accept, give thanks for the care you receive. Do that pleasantly. Realize that you're allowing folks to exhibit their likeness to God by caring for you. Express your appreciation for that. Don't get embittered and sometimes we just feel so helpless and, and we feel so worthless when other people are doing things for us and yet that's how God designed it. We can't do it for ourselves. God commended His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We mentioned this morning and then we'll come to a conclusion. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. The God of all mercies who comforted us through Jesus Christ expects us to comfort one another with the same comfort 
were with, we were comforted. Being from a large family, I received lots of comfort, a lot of assistance, a lot of help. Still do. I'm number eight out of those 11 children, and I'm 65 years old. So I'll let you know what the other seven are like. They're older than I am. And now we're learning some new things about how we have to care for each other. Making some adjustments there, both in our lifestyle and how we go about doing things and what we'll accept and how we have conversations. And we're very realistic about it. That's important in physical families, but I'm here to tell you that it's even more important in our spiritual family. I hope this weekend has helped us just be more aware of things that we should have already known and yet just make up our minds that we're going to do something about it. Going to do that consistently and lovingly. Going to pace ourselves. There's enough of us and nobody has to get worn out. We're all going to participate at some level because we love each other. Young and old. Wealthy and not so wealthy. Healthy or sick. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And we're going to act like it. We're truly going to care about each other. If you're here this afternoon and not a child of God, I want you to think about what that means. Not a child of God. That means you're not a member of His family, which means you have absolutely no spiritual inheritance waiting on you. That's a serious matter, isn't it? That you have nothing spiritual to look forward to if you're not a child of God. But you see, you don't have to live here, leave here this afternoon that way. According to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26, we can all be children of God. But if we are children of God, we're children of God the same way. Listen to these inspired words. We are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of us as were baptized in the Christ have put on Christ. We're no more Jew nor Greek, no more bond nor free, no more male nor female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And if we're in Christ, then are we Abraham's seed? Listen, and heirs according to the promise. Who made the promise? That merciful God who comforts us through Christ Jesus. That's who made the promise. We're heirs of that promise. If you're willing this afternoon to acknowledge that faith in His Son, to recognize sin is what separates you from Him, so you're willing to turn from those sins in repentance, that your lips will, before those who are gathered, confess that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. You submit your will to His in baptism. Bury that old man. A new one can be raised up in Christ that's put on Christ. That's a child of God that is an heir according to the promise. Those of us who are heirs need to recognize what it means to be part of the family of God. I know what it's like to be part of a physical family. love my physical family. Nine out of those 11 children are also part of my spiritual family. There's a different relationship there. You see, brothers and sisters in Christ have a unique relationship. Because we're really comforted through the redeeming blood of Christ. We can share that comfort with others through the redeeming blood of Christ. And in that, we can behave like a family and care for each other. Maybe there are things in your life that is not in harmony with God's will. One of the most cherished verses to me is found, we mentioned a moment ago, from 1 John chapter 1. Right after telling us to walk in the light as He is in the light in verse, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. Verse 8 says, If we confess our sins, listen, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And this is a part that brings me comfort. 
and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That just lifts a burden for me. To know as long as I'm in contact with the blood of Christ, as long as I acknowledge my failures, His blood will continue to remove my sins, and that brings me comfort. But it's conditional, isn't it? You have to let God help you. Just like we have to let each other help. We confess our sins, He will lift those burdens, wash our sins away, will continue to do so. Interestingly, the next verse says, if we say we have no sin, we make him a liar and the truth is not in us. That sounds a little bit like saying I don't need your help, doesn't it? To say I have no sin is like saying I don't need your help. For us in Christ to say I don't need your help is forget how you designed the family. Oh yes you do. You need our help and we need your help because we're a family. Yes, we do. And we need to demonstrate to the world God's design for the family. If we can assist and help you not only be a part of that family, but function at the highest possible level in that family, you let that be known while together we stand, while we sing. to be anyone that was not able to be here this morning you have not been able to complete your worship you can go ahead and exit this time down the hall and someone will assist you thank you brother Martin for being with us thank you for the three lessons you and Denise both thanks both of you for being with us this morning and the three lessons that you have provided to us on caregiving remember the three names I have mentioned this morning that are not in the bulletin uh, Remember Clayton, he's at Princeton. Remember Jillian Bray, who is either on her way or should be at Children's Hospital. And then also remember this John Smothers family as they are suffering the sting of death. Thank you for being here this morning. We appreciate it so much for this afternoon. Appreciate your presence here this afternoon. Of course, there is no 5 o'clock service. Remember to be back with us Wednesday at 6.30 for our midweek Bible study. After the singing of one more song, we'll have our closing prayer and Ryan will lead us in that prayer. A common love for each other, a common gift to the Savior, a common bond holding us to the Lord. A common strength when we're weary, a common hope 
for tomorrow a common joy in the truth of God's word. A common love for each other, a common gift to the Savior, a common bond holding us to the Lord, a common strength when we're weary, a common hope for tomorrow, a common joy in the truth of God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful day and the wonderful opportunity to come together and study your word and learn and grow, Lord. And we're so grateful that we live in a place where we can do that freely, Father. We just pray for those who can't, those that are persecuted and kept from your word, Lord. We just pray that there'll be a breakthrough and and uh, people will bring them your word and they will be able to grow and, and be a part of your kingdom, Father. We thank you for Brother Martin and the message he brought us we just pray that we can have open hearts and open eyes and always be searching to help others and love each other and and grow together father we pray for those that are on the prayer request list uh, that you'll touch each situation and bless them and comfort them and bring them back to their restored health if that be your will lord and we pray for those that are not on the, the list lord that those that need prayers that that are not listed, just be with those situations, Father. Bring us back together uh, Wednesday and, and in between that, Lord, just pray.